Hello, welcome to episode four of the Chat and Ball podcast. I'm your host, Max Mishcon. I uh, hope you enjoyed the last episode with freelance story and coach Thomas Gornemark. Um, and today uh, I've got a very special guest, freelance writer, multimedia journalist and analyst. It's Nenad Barbadikar. Nenad, how are you, mate? Hi, Max. Uh, pleasure to be on the podcast. I'm doing very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Um, so as you know, it's a, this is a football podcast and we tap into different niches, uh, people in from all kinds of backgrounds with different careers to do with football. But I always ask, what was your first memory of, of football itself, playing it, watching it? How did you fall in love with the game? Uh, so it's very interesting. Like um, my my first sort of, my very first memory of football is from the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. So I think I was at a friend's place with my family and we were all, you know, just having a good time and there was the TV was on and the, and the World Cup was on TV because, of course, why wouldn't it be? And England-Germany was on. And I, I think I remember the moment that Lampard hit the post and, you know, the ball went in, but the goal wasn't given. And I remember, like, I was a kid. I barely understood, like, the intricacies of football and all that. But I remember my friend telling me, no, no, this guy scored and they didn't give the goal. I remember just genuine shock on my face. <laughs> and, yeah, ever since then, I've sort of been, I guess, building my love towards football and properly started... Uh, I guess, intensely getting into it for like the past, I guess, six or seven years. Been writing about it, been learning more and more, and obviously getting into the uh, data side of it, learning more about analytics and everything. It's, it's been great, yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember watching that game too, vaguely. I think I was, I must have been six years old at the time. So again, like you, I didn't really understand the intricacies <laughs> and the the injustice yeah. of, of what happened. Um uh, as I do now, but I remember watching that game. I remember, I remember weirdly. I remember crying when when Spain won. <laughs> like, like it was like. So I'm not Spanish. I don't have any Spanish uh, back background at all. But I don't know. Just like I guess it was quite an emotional moment for six year old me. Um, do you have any? Do you have any specific players you you idolized when you were younger as well? Anyone at that World Cup? Oh, do you know what? I mean, there was quite a few players back then, wasn't it? Um, so I guess I don't have any specific player from back then. But I think I, I know I, as a United, I'm a Manchester United fan, so obviously I enjoyed watching Wayne Rooney, and you know I guess I really enjoyed watching his transformation into this uh, the different kind of player that he became towards the end of his career. You know, a slower player, a more composed player, more in control of everything, and his relationship with Van Persie. I really enjoyed watching Van Persie for United. I think by far he is one of you know, the best transfers that the club ever made. And yeah, I think I think from, from back then, I think Van Persie was one of the players that I really enjoyed watching because his his combination of not just being a good footballer, he was, I mean, you know, he, had, he was sort of the all-round package, wasn't he? He had the technique, he had the finishing, he had intelligence. He was, I guess he was, you know, an archetype of, of you know, what kind of a striker the modern-day you know, modern forward should be. And, you know, he just had everything. He was he was amazing to watch. And, yeah, as a United fan, obviously it was nice that he joined over from Arsenal. But it made it even nicer that he helped us win the title. So, yeah, you know, it all works out nicely. Yeah, no, not as nice for me because I'm an Arsenal fan. I remember oh, getting, wow. I remember, I remember getting Nasri on my shirt. I was like, I love this guy. He moved to Man City. I got Van Persie on my shirt the next season. He moved to United. Um, and then it all kind of went a bit downhill from there. But... Rooney as well, man. Like, what a player. I think sometimes it's hard to 
uh, evaluate how good, you know, players we'd consider legends 10, 20, you know, 30 years ago. But I think Rooney, when people talk about Mbappe and, and Haaland, I think Rooney was just on another level. Like at 16, 17, ripping it up, getting a move to United. Like, what a player. Um, so obviously, yeah. So obviously, you mentioned you're you're a United fan. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't say the the greatest time for you right now. You know, we we just spoke on the days of Rooney and Van Persie. The, at the end of uh, Sir Alex's reign, winning titles. How do you? What are your what are your just general thoughts on the current situation right now with Ranić? Obviously, uh, a new manager will come in in the summer, but the current situation project, if you can even call it that, are you optimistic? Are you are you pessimistic? What are your thoughts? So I'm trying not to be, you know, on either side of that situation. I'm sort of trying to tread the tread the gray area as it is. Um, I was quite optimistic about his appointment. I remember when the news came out, I was absolutely over the moon because I really, you know, I, I, I admire Rangnick so much. I mean, the, the, his methods, at least, you know, uh, what he brought to RB Leipzig, you know, the entire Red Bull franchise in general, how he sort of transformed the entire you know uh, franchise and how he brought about all those clubs and that entire network together and just him as a t- tactician as well how he brought about those teams how he you know brought these group brought this really interesting group of players from the german fourth division to you know the bundesliga and all of that was really really interesting about him so i was quite optimistic when he was appointed and you know i'm i think i'm willing to be patient to see how it works out until the summer with with Ranik personally, I think um, with him, I think to evaluate him truly, I think would would be would be to see what he's done after the end of you know his tenure of the consultancy role that he has, which is you know at least for now it's for two years. So we'll see. Uh, we can only probably judge him maybe in the next year or so and bringing in the, seeing what kind of changes he brings about. But. Yeah, in terms of the manager that comes in in the summer, there's still a lot of confusion, and I don't necessarily like that. But you know, I think it's it's you know it's it's sort of a cliche phrase, but you know we're still in sort of a transition mode again, and you still have to wait and see, you know what what will happen in the future, and you have to try and take it step by step, and you have to take incremental uh, positives, I suppose, and hopefully by this by the time the summer arrives. Uh, the picture will be a lot clearer and we'll have a better idea of what Manchester United will be like uh, for the next few years. Yeah, I thought I thought the two-year consultancy role after the end of the season was interesting. They were, I don't know, if reluctant to or maybe just didn't simply didn't want to give him a director of football role or sporting director role uh, that he's, he's thrived in at previous clubs. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm loving it at the moment because you're playing some some pretty terrible football. Um, but I've. But I. I do fear that, you know, your recruitment, uh, your recruitment department might come to their senses and, and buy a few midfielders, and then I think you'll be a, a serious, a serious team. But until then, uh, I'm quite enjoying Man United from an Arsenal perspective, right now. Uh, I want to I want to move on to your writing, Ninad. You're you're doing a masters in in sports journalism right now. Yeah, but I've been following you for a few years, and part of the, I guess you could say, the analytics community on on Twitter, you've been quite a a big part of from from my perspective, and and your writing is as extensive as it is impressive. So, uh, I just want to I just want to praise you and 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 ask you because you're you're one of the few people few people who I think can can blend 
uh, data visualization and analytics with really nice and, and beautiful storytelling in a lot of your pieces. Um, for example, you have a you're an, you have a Twitter account focuses on um, Union Berlin in the Bundesliga called yeah. Union Analytics. You have a, a newsletter called Berlin ist rot. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, and you're writing about Union for first time finish. First time finish. Sorry, which is a, a company that you co-created and write for, uh, as well as many other stories, which we'll, we'll, we'll touch on later. But in a in a league as chaotic as the Bundesliga, what uh, appealed to you most about Union Berlin for you to really just write write so much about them? Uh, Max, I think um, first of all, you know. Or the point you made about storytelling, um, you know, I think as much as I do enjoy the analytics side of football and all of the data that comes through all the innovation inside of it, at at my at my core, I'm still you know a giddy football fan. I enjoy the emotional moments. I am I you know I cry the lows and you know I cry the highs as well. So you know I I enjoy all parts of football equally, and you know that's why i think storytelling is just you know it's 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 a magical it's a magical thing and it's a, it's a privilege to be able to tell a player story a footballer story you know and, and a club story in, in fact and that's why uh, i love union berlin so much because they have they have a wonderful story you know they are a club that's that's come through a lot of uh, you know difficult time um, and to come to the bundesliga in the way that they have is inspirational to say the least if you don't know too much about them, I'll, I'll just tell you a few things. So first of all, the stadium that they have, the Stadion Anderalten Fosterai, which literally means the stadium in the heart of uh, the, the forest. So it's surrounded by a forest. And the stadium itself, uh, when Union were in the third division of German football, um, the sorry, they were in the fourth division and they had to get promoted to the third division. They were not allowed to by the authorities at the time because their stadium wasn't, you know, wasn't up to the standards required. Oh, wow. So the fans took it upon themselves to build the stadiums, uh, to build the stadium themselves, and they did. They did it all for free, free of cost. And can you imagine oh, cool. that that yeah. kind of relationship? I mean, the fans themselves they play a really, really crucial role in the way the football club runs, and you know. Uh, and and for that reason, I mean, for that reason and many other reasons, you know, Union is one of my one of my favorite clubs because barely four years ago, this was a team that was struggling to you know build together consistent form in the second Bundesliga, and then they came up through the ranks. They you know they made wide scale changes at boardroom level. They brought in a coach in Urs Fischer with a clear and uh, clear clear tactical identity, and they brought in better players, and you know. And just since, ever since coming to the Bundesliga, they have been extremely solid and they don't look like they're going to go down anytime soon. And truly, given the way that they've gone, gone so far this season, I, I genuinely think European qualification is not too much of a distant dream for, for Union Berlin, which is crazy in a way that if you think about it, because this was a club that was in the second division of Germany not, not too long ago. And now they're, they're fighting. They, they were in the UEFA Conference League this season. And although they got knocked out, they still, you know, give a good account of themselves against the teams, teams like Feyenoord, against teams like Slavia Prague, which are, you know, European heavyweights. And this is a team that's, you know, this is their very, very first time in European competition. So, yeah, you know, I think another thing about Union is that, you know, ever since I've started the account, I've just had so much, you know, love and support from the Union community. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm able to interact with a lot of people that I that I communicate with through the account on a daily basis. I'm able to read a lot of knowledgeable 
pieces about the club. I'm able to so even though uh, you know I, I, I'm sort of a I guess a fan of the newer generation, um, I'm still learning more and more about the club. And you know, as as every day goes by, I'm I'm learning more and more about the history of the club, the culture of the club, and everything. I'm just trying to you know uh, bring my own presence to to the community itself, which has been great so far. And yeah, uh, I, I hope you know. Only I hope only good things for Union Berlin in the future because uh, they deserve it. They they're one of the they're one of the better teams in the Bundesliga, I think. Yeah, and I think when you talk about the, the analytics account you have on Twitter and the community you've built, I think it's invaluable to try and find a niche in a in a market or an industry as saturated as football journalism is. I think you find uh, big Premier League teams, academies, and and women teams now being covered more than than most top five. Uh, European teams could could ever dream of, and it's like the Bundesliga is lacking in in content. But finding a team with such a I don't know what you'd say a, a passionate fan base with such a a, a purist um, love for the game, such as Union Berlin, with, with stories like that. And when you start writing uh, about them, you, you're bound you're bound to meet people and and build connections and and tell amazing stories. So it's it's great you're doing that, but. What I what I personally like most from you is your inside stories, which is a feature uh, you do on first time finish. So you'll write about players. Uh, you often talk to their coaches, sometimes where they've initially uh, started playing from from a very young age. Uh, yeah. You've done you've done one on Andre Frank Zambo and Guisa, who's a player I adore. And my favorite one as well was uh, Alu Kowal, who's uh, now playing for. Leipzig, am I correct? No, he's playing for Stuttgart. He's playing Stuttgart, for Stuttgart sorry. now. Yeah, yeah. Same white kit. I get a bit. I get a bit confused. <laughs> Apologies. Um, no there's there's still a sprinkle of analytics there, which I guess is part of your quote unquote brand. Um, but as I wanted to ask you again, you 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 spoke on the beauty of storytelling. Is there anything that fascinated you through researching, writing those stories? about players coming through the ranks often in, in impoverished communities in Africa um, without the without the typical resources or or help you get from Premier League academies. What what fascinated you when speaking to coaches uh, who who were helping these players before they made it? Yeah, so I mean I think um, Alu Cole is one of one of the better stories I think out there because he's such a wholesome character and you know he he came he came to he came to Australia from you know from a very unfortunate situation with his family, and 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 you know when he came to Australia and the community that he met there they all welcomed him with you know open arms, and he he's really grateful and he you know he you know he 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 identifies with with uh, with the areas that he's been in in Australia, and you know he he just he brings it brings a different energy to the game you know when I, whenever I watched him play. When I was doing my research on him, I I just I just I just saw a different energy with this guy. You know the way he was smiling, the way he was going about his football on the pitch. I was just really really enthused, and I was like, you know, I really have to, you know, speak to the. You know, I have to find out more about this. About, I have to find out more about Cole. And thankfully, his his coach Craig Carley responded positively to me, and he was you know more than willing to give an interview about him. And yeah, that's that's where the that's where the inside story came about from. I suppose. Um, and yeah, it was really insightful to learn about his experiences, you know, moving over from initially, you know, he was born in South Sudan, and his, his family moved from there to Egypt. 
and then they came to you know uh, Sydney and then moved to Shepparton, which is another area within within Australia. And then that's that's where his career sort of started. You know, playing local football, um, you know, making ends meet by doing the odd job. And he was, um, I think, his his coach told me that he he also um, he worked as a chef in one of the local restaurants there. So that was very interesting to learn. And you know, uh, it was just it was this was just this is a man that is just happy to play football. He's he's grateful for what he has in life, and I think that's that's really beautiful. Like you know, uh, it's it's just that you know he's he's not just grateful for what he has, but he's also extremely confident in his own abilities. And you can see that you know this is a player that probably did not play a lot in senior Australian football, but the fact that a club like Stutt- like Stuttgart you know, Sven Mislintat, you know, he's he's picked up quite a few, uh, you know, big talents over the years. And for, for someone like him to identify Cole as a player who would do well in the Bundesliga is a huge credit to Cole himself. And to, and to you know, Craig Carley and, and the community at, at, uh, at GV Suns as well, because they, they played, they played, a, they played a massive role in, in this development in Australia. And and yeah, you know, I, I I'm I'm kind of I'm really optimistic about um, about his his development in Germany. And to speak a bit more on Angisa, uh, I think the more interesting experience was getting that story together itself. Obviously, you know, he he came from an academy in Cameroon, and uh, and so um, getting connections to find out more about him was not necessarily straightforward. So it was a lot of patience. It was a lot of waiting, and then finally, you know, his 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 academy. I guess the academy manager that he used to be at. Uh, he he reached out. You know, he responded to me. Then he got in, got me in touch with with his coach, um, and then that then just things just sort of rolled on from there. And the funny thing is, Max, that I I because he was a native English speaker, and I I never knew any any French. So all I had to do was try to communicate him using Google Translate, and every message that I was oh, sending wow. to him, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was like that. It was like that, and he he was he was responding to me in French. I had to make sure that I was speaking grammatically perfect French using Google Translate, which, as we know, is not an easy task mm-hmm. because you have to double check everything that you send. And yeah, you know, finally, it was it was good. You know, I sent him over the I sent him the questions because I just thought it would be easier for him to send the answers. So I sent him. Sent him all the questions I had, and he responded to me. And then, you know, it was a case of translating it and making it make, you know, all of it making sense, and then just putting the article together, which is really interesting in itself as well. Because um, obviously, learning about all of the journeys that you know these these players have, um, you know, you see them shining on the stage, on you know, on the big stage in, in European leagues and whatnot. But I think learning about their personalities, learning about their roots, is also equally interesting. And with with Zamba and Gisa. Um, I think it was just uh, it was really interesting to see how um, again it was it was very much similar to Cole where he was also quite confident in his in his you know in his abilities and you know obviously every player works hard and you know he was no he was no different he or he really prioritized working hard and you know he had this will to succeed and even back then you know we see Zambongisa now as someone who dominates on the ball, who is beautiful when dribbling past players, who is re- a really powerful presence in midfield. That's exactly how it was even back then. You know, he was technically very, very skillful with the ball and his passing, his dribbling, all of that were some of the qualities that his coach, Gibrilla Alain, 
he saw those in him very early on. And then it was just a case of sort of developing them as, as he went along. And, you know, I guess he, he saw a bit of Yaya Toure in him back then as well. And, you know, uh, Zambongisa also looks up to Yaya Toure. So that's, that's, that's very convenient. And, you know, I, I see a bit of Yaya Toure in him as well um, and in the way that he goes about on the pitch. And so, yeah, you know, obviously these are players that, you know, have really, really uh, encouraging numbers as well. So it was, it was really, it was an easy job for me to, you know, make them stand out because they already are standout players in terms of their numbers. Um, and yeah, I, I guess those are two, those are two of my sort of favorite stories that I've worked on uh, for first time finish in terms of the inside stories. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were two of my favourites as well. But yeah, like you said, Ang- Anguis is having a he's having a terrific season at Napoli as well. Yeah. Uh, he he ripped up at, at Villarreal when he was on loan there. Everywhere he's gone, he's he's just dominated, like you said. But I I love those stories so much because you, I think a lot of players that originate from Africa have to uh, have a lot more to go through to get to the top. I think that kind of mirrors society in general as well. But I don't know if you know the story of Colo Toure. He was at an Arsenal academy in Ivory Coast and Wenger told him to come over to the Arsenal training ground. And he almost injured Henri from slide tackling, same as Bergkamp. And then he, he slid tackled Wenger by mistake uh, and almost broke his ankle. But Wenger well, signed him up because he liked his his determination. Um, you know, stories like that, they're just, they're just incredible. Um, and it's, it's really nice. Uh, I can imagine to re- report on them, research them, talk to the people that that made them I guess um, um you know moving from that obviously that Anguissa and uh Kuala, or Kuala's Australian sorry but Anguissa playing for Cameroon and the African Cup of Nations um you uh for first time finish uh, I read the piece by Ben Boshak I haven't pronounced that correctly and he spoke yeah. to the the Gambian first team coach uh yesterday I thought it was a great piece um what is it what is it about AFCON that that fascinates you that that you love because for me I mean the the game ne- uh, yesterday between Cameroon and the Comoros was just it was incredible uh we're, we're recording this the the day after this this happened I don't know when this will go out but um the Comoros goalkeeper was sent off and the left back had to go in goal and then a scream of a free kick from about 35 yards was scored I mean it was, it was a beautiful match um, and we, we can talk more about African football after, but just the tournament itself. What was it that you love about it? I mean, you you said it there. You said it there, Max. I think Afcon is just—it's a combination of so many things, isn't it? There's there's so much. Uh, there there are so many different stories that are going on. There's a lot of chaos on and off the pitch, and you know there is you know there's there's so much to there's so much to love about the tournament. I think um, obviously it's also it's it's a cultural celebration. You know, all of these countries coming together, but it's also about the football at the end of the day. These are there are so many there are so many players now um, at at Afcon that are worth looking at and that are you know worth you know worth watching. Um, even at, there there are quite a few players that are you know making their name for for the first time uh, at Afcon as well. So that's 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 you know really encouraging. And you know, just in general, I think um, it's a good opportunity for for people to sort of um, you know. Uh, to sort of uh, make themselves familiar with um, with the kind of talents that are coming through, 
not just in not just African players that are playing in Europe, but also African players that are playing actually in Africa, and then you know getting a taste for what their talents are like, and then you know it's just it's also good for good entertainment value, isn't it? We've seen so much chaos. I think it was one of the early games in the tournament where uh, one of the games was stopped early, then it was called you know then it was and I think the 89th minute or the 85th minute the referee blew the final whistle. And then I can't quite remember which game he it did was. It. Yeah, I remember. I think it was. It might have been Sierra Leone. It, I'm not it? sure. Yes, I think no. it was. Was it? Was it Mali and Sierra Leone? I'm not sure. Yeah, and he called in the uh, 85th and the 89th yeah. and then the 90th. It was. Yeah, it's just, it, it was insane. <laughs> it, was just, it was insane, wasn't it? And it's just like it's just it's just that and so many other things. I think, um, I think what's been particularly encouraging about this edition of Afcon is that, um, obviously there there is a lot of concerns about you know. COVID affecting the tournament and the players. But, you know, in spite of all of that, I think um, it's been really encouraging to see how teams have gone about it, um, how 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 the tournament has done so far. And obviously, there's there's been a healthy mix of upsets and, you know, fairly uh, predictableness, I guess, uh, in the tournament so far. Um, Ghana's exit was, <laughs> was a bit, uh, you know, I guess I guess disappointing, but I think I think player people who are more familiar with with African football and, and with Ghanaian football, I think generally expected something like that to happen, and I guess that's you know this is this is sort of a place for them to hit the cultural reset for them, and to maybe do things differently. So we'll see how that how that goes about for them, but you know you still have a few heavyweights in the competition uh, left left out. So we have we still have the host nation. We have Cameroon, we still have Senegal. We um, tomorrow it's Ivory Coast in Egypt. That'll be interesting to see. Um, I think Algeria, where, where obviously you know the holders of the trophy and you know getting knocked out was 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 a bit strange for them, I'm sure. And it was it was really strange to see. I think from from an outside perspective as well, because you don't normally expect players of that caliber to to perform so so poorly, I suppose. And I guess that's that's another um, that's another fascinating thing about Afghan is that you do not the I, I guess you don't always have to have the bigger teams succeed and do well. You always expect something unpredictable to happen, and like you know, uh, so that was that's another thing that makes makes Afcon a sort of um, a, a global um, phenomenon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when you when you touch on the players, I, I remember going into the Euros uh, last summer. Is not really anyone from any country whatsoever. You you know someone on Twitter or someone hasn't written about already, like players like Rapsidori, who I didn't know going into the tournament, there was just plenty of pieces. I remember uh, reading one you wrote as well about him. And then I was, bang, yeah. I, I know this player completely now after watching a bit <laughs> of footage as well. But yeah. I think in, in AFCON, you genuinely do find players, like you said, playing in African leagues that you that you genuinely haven't seen before. I, I, I just saw on Twitter a, a compilation of, I'm, I can't remember the, player's name um uh his a compilation of his free kicks and his technique i've never seen anything like it it's almost like uh it's almost like a, a technique you, you do to make a, a switch to the other side for as a pass but there's so much power on it he generates no spin on the ball it's it's really it's really interesting um but i want to i think it's important to touch on some of the the negatives that can come from a tournament like this from the media's uh, point of view at least and I think 
as you, as you said, it's a celebration of culture, a celebration of of football. Um, but if we look at the you know the UK's media coverage, uh, skies especially of of Afcon, it's clear to see that football is still very Eurocentric, um, as is a lot of mainstream culture and and sports. But they've they only allow about five minutes uh, before kickoff for the for the program. There's no co-commentator. It, it all seems a bit half-assed. Um, and I just want to talk about media's mainstream media's general coverage of of African players. And do you think it's changing? Because I think for for so long and and still now, and this is something that I've been I've been guilty of in you know the limited pieces I've written, where we categorise white players as technical and black players as physical. When actually, when we look at players like Patrick Vieira, Yaya Toure, uh, Zambo Nguisa, these are players that, Paul Pogba as well, these are players that are technically some of the, some of the most gifted around. Yaya Toure especially, like, it's one of the most, one of the most technically gifted players we've ever seen, especially for a person of his height. Um, do you think we'll, we'll ever be able to, to see a shift from this? Do you think views will change and, and we'll be able to see black and white players, you know, simply as they are and, and not make lazy stereotypes? I mean, I, I definitely hope so, Max. I think um, I think what's, uh, what's sort of uh, the, the one positive thing is that I think we are sl- slightly moving past that sort of uh, that wrong direction of coverage towards players, you know, black players in general. I think more and more people are starting to recognize that, you know, black players are not just physical they're not just all about the pace and the power. There is there is so much more to to players, and you know I think it's it's all it's 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 dangerous to uh, conform to those stereotypes. But I think in general uh, people are trying to you know uh, people are trying to understand things better and try to avoid making those kind of dangerous um, assumptions. But yeah, in terms of uh, the media coverage, I think. Um, does the, the amount of written content that's gone into this Afcon has been incredible, and I think it's uh, by far, you know, certainly in our lifetime, um, I, I I definitely haven't written, uh, I I haven't read as much Afcon content as I have for this tournament, and just you know, I think that's that's amazing how everybody is trying to, you know, not just uh, you know try to put content out there, but also try to learn more and more about the tournament and it's just it just go to show how much everyone tries is you know trying to be involved in trying to make this a, a good tournament and a successful tournament but obviously from the broadcast side of it there's so much that is still you know left there there's a lot left to be desired and you know you, you spoke about sky's coverage there and i think that just goes to show that you know afcon is is, is a massive deal i think um it's, it's right up there with you know with with the with, UA, with the UA for European Championships, with the World Cup, and the Afcon itself is basically the World Cup's equi- equivalent, you know, of 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 the African continent. You know, and I think it should be treated as such. Like, you know, it, this is probably one of one of the you know one of the most you know one of the biggest uh, international tournaments. And and for them, for for a tournament like this to get the kind of coverage it has, uh, at least in terms of the broadcast side of it. Is, is not particularly um, encouraging, I would say. But um, I, I do hope that, you know, some of the new media that's coming through will probably take a more proactive role for future editions of AFCON. 
you know for this for this edition uh, i think well, um so as part of my course i had to do a bit of research for a side project that i was working on and i i discovered that you know tiktok got 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 a official sponsorship for afcon so they have access to official pre match and post match footage they can post official highlights and goals and whatnot so i think that's that's uh, really interesting and how new media channels and new media platforms are going to play uh, a crucial role in in how sports are shaped and you know how sports broadcasting is shaped going forward and it's not just going to be in the hands of companies like sky and you know uh, companies like bbc uh, to to take care of all of that you know i think you know there will be better coverage in the future and i think the broadcast side of uh, broadcast side of sports has a lot to learn from how the written media and how well the written media has done in terms of covering afcon this year and i do hope that you know in the future there will be an improvement in this regard and you know that we we see better better coverage of of afcon and of you know of minority tournaments in general i think yeah yeah i think that's a great point you make about uh, the written work on Af- afcon because i'm quite i follow quite a lot of football writers uh, football yeah. analysts and and the content's been almost overwhelming um the amount the amount of coverage it's been really great to see and i think that difference you get with television especially a, a company as big as sky is that you know you the producers there the people uh deciding on what content what matches to broadcast they're only going to supply what what's in demand and uh i guess you could say unfortunately but the africa cup of nations isn't as uh widely demanded as the world cup is uh you know from a the amount of people that that demand it but i think when you get when you get writers i think you get more of a like i said about union berlin you get more of a purist uh vibe if you will and there's not as much demand and i think writers are younger generally a bit more progressive um at least the the ones i tend to follow uh and so you get you get some really nice stories you get some really nice uh coverage of of what's going on uh, I think there's a bit more freedom in, in that world. Um, but yeah, AFCON, like we said, it's a celebration of culture, of football, uh, all things Africa. Yep. I want to I talk about, uh, you know, one of those aspects, which is which is music. Uh, because if if you don't know, Nenad is a incredibly gifted guitarist and singer. And on the no. odd occasion, when, when he, I'm making him blush now, but. On the odd occasion when he when he posts a video of him singing uh, Wonderwall on on Twitter, he can't help but just just make everyone smile. Um, <laughs> so I wanna I wanna ask what what music are you listening to at the moment? Is there anything uh, you'd recommend to the listeners? Uh, Max, you know uh, ever since I've um, ever since I've come here, I've tried to sort of um, uh, learn more and more about you know the kind of music that that is popular here and you know the kind of artists. Uh, that are popular here so obviously you know wonderwall oasis uh they're they're pretty big here in the uk and just you know trying to learn more about the music scene here um that there's 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 a lot that's there's a lot that that's going on here and you know i i can't recommend anything new uh, to be honest no because the way i listen to music is i don't i don't uh tune into sorry i don't i don't tune into uh mainstream artists what what i try to do is Whenever I go onto Spotify or whichever uh, music streaming platform it is, I try to, uh, I guess, discover new artists and whatnot. 
So I guess what I would recommend is try and support emerging artists because um, they, they, I think they really need people's support. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, harm you to listen to um, an upcoming artist's song and see what they've produced because, you know, music is there for everyone to enjoy. And ultimately, you know, uh, if, if you can, if you can help make someone's day better, you should absolutely do that. And, and yeah, I think that's the way I see, that's the way I see music. And I, I'm very old school like that. Uh, some of my favorite artists are the Beatles, uh, you know, Eagles and, uh, you know, I, I you know, Linkin Park, obviously a big part of my childhood. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not very exciting like that in terms of my music. But, you know, uh, I, I like to keep it simple that way. Uh, and I like to listen to music that's comfortable and easy. And yet, I sometimes uh, maybe share that some of that music on Twitter uh, <laughs> with, with people. And, and clearly, um, at least you're enjoying it, Max. So that's, that's, good to, that's good to hear. I'm loving it. But I think it's, <laughs> I think it's really interesting you say that uh, since you've come to England, you, you tried to find out what's popular because... Uh, I haven't gone to India, but I my my girlfriend's Indian, uh, and I know you're not from from Punjab and you're not Sikh, but um, I've fallen in love with with Punjabi music, like Punjabi yeah, hip hop really especially. Good. It's amazing, and <laughs> I've managed good, yeah. I've managed to pick up you know some some bits of the language as well, which is always good. But I'm a sucker for Siddhu Musiala. I don't know if you know him. Um, um, no, I'm not. So I mean, so if if you tell me the names of artists, I probably wouldn't be able to recognize them. But if I heard the music, I could probably instantly recognize yeah. where, where I heard it from. But yeah, um, that's well, really he, good. That's really positive to hear. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he works with a lot of popular UK artists as well. Um, a lot yeah. of a lot of Bollywood films. I I absolutely adore the music. Um, I think it's amazing. Bolly Bollywood, I've, I've fallen in love with as well. Um, but I think that's really interesting you, as you look to older English music. Uh, I'm really interested in, in newer Indian music. Um, and I show it to my friends and they like it too. And so I, I don't know. I, know I, I, could never, I could have never imagined myself enjoying, uh, enjoying that music and learning a new language. But I'm really, I'm really happy I have. Um, but yeah, a, a musical guru like, uh, like Ninad, I had to get your opinions on that. Um, but yeah, I want to uh give you a final question which is the recurring ending ending segment on this podcast past yep. or present then add what's your all-time five-a-side team oh i mean max this 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 team keeps changing over the years man like i <laughs> I, I i just don't have a, a fixed five-a-side team um but okay let me let me give this a go okay so in goal um i think in goal i would have to go for casillas Mm. Um, because I think he, he inspired a, a lot of different keepers. Um, and, you know, I think at his peak, he was, he was simply one of the best at the time, if not one of the best ever. And I you know I just, I connected with him as, as a, as a personality even. So Casillas in goal and, um, in front of Casillas, um, Sergio Ramos, because honestly, uh, honestly, you would rather you as much as you hate him as an opponent, you'd rather have him on your side than against you. Yeah, much rather. So, much rather, right? So yeah, Sergio Ramos in, in front of him. It's very likely this will go become a four side team if you have Ramos in your team, though. <laughs> probably get get sent off pretty quick. Probably, probably. Yeah. But yeah, I'm counting on him to score a last minute header before he does that. So yeah, we'll mm. see. 
Um, I think in front of him, uh, it's it's tricky. There's there's so many good so many good midfielders over the years, but um, I think I'll go with Perlo. Um, mm. Yeah, Perlo because he's just majestic, man. I mean, not just the way the the way he plays football, but just the way he carries himself. You know, mm. I you know I I I, I you know. Uh, I just admire so many things about him. Obviously, you know, he, he hasn't worked out so well as a manager. But, you know, just as a player, he 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 was exceptional for Milan and for Juventus as well. So he sits at the base of my midfield. Not as good uh, of a not as good of a bid as you though. You've always got that over I, him. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, listen, listen. <laughs> I have some edge in life, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great yeah. bid. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that, Max. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think in front of him, um, not a lot of people would go for him, but I think he is massively underrated in like the grand scheme of football history. Is Clarence Seedorf? Because oh, what he, a player! What a player, Max! What yeah. a player! Three Just, Champions he, League, three different teams. Exactly. Exactly. You don't. You don't do. You don't do that if you're not an exceptionally gifted player. Mm. who is exceptionally gifted in playing so many different roles. And Seedorf was one of those players who was technically brilliant. He was a goal scorer. He was a midfield workhorse. He was a creator. He was he was a little bit of... He was everything. Mm. And I think in the grand scheme of things, in, in the way that history has seen football and you know the way we've, we've seen football has come about, I think Seedorf is one of those players that, that is not necessarily given the respect that he should be. Um, but I think he's, he's just exceptional, man. He is 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 truly one of one of the the all time all time greats. I can imagine as, so, as well on a, on a, on a five aside pitch as well. I think there are, there are certain players that would do better eleven on eleven aside and five aside. I feel like Perlo. Uh, I feel like he could get you know he's he's got so much swagger, but I feel like he could get physically dominated on a five aside yeah, yeah, pitch, yeah. getting getting barged into the barrier. But Sadov, he would bully everyone on that pitch. I feel 100%. like one hundred percent. Hundred percent, hundred percent. If anyone tried to slide tackle Pedro, you know they're gonna get it from Seedorf the next time <laughs> exactly. they get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely have have Seedorf in the team. So that's Casillas, Ramos, Pedro, Seedorf, and you know up front. I think it's five side. I think you know where I'm going. I think it has to be Messi up front mm. because you 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 can't not have him in your team. And if it if it's if it's a five side all time all time team, it it cannot not have Messi in there. So yeah, that's. That's yeah. I, I, you know what? I actually didn't think I would come up with this team when I was when I was thinking about it earlier. Um, when you when you sent me the agenda for, for the podcast, and I'm like, okay, now now that I think about it, I I, I actually kind of like this team. Yeah. So Casillas at the back, uh, Ramos and Casillas, Pedro and Seedorf controlling midfield and and you know creativity and Messi just doing his thing. You know, I think yeah. I think we'll be all right. You That's know. a great team. Seedorf Seedorf's probably the best shout I think we've had. So far, you're the you're the fourth guest on here, uh, but I don't think anyone's mentioned Messi. We've had f- wow. f- fifteen other opportunities to mention Messi. I don't think anyone said Messi. Interesting. Yeah. Max, what, what's what's your team? I'm interested to hear what's what's your five. You, you put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> goalkeeper. Oh my god, probably uh, Bruce Grobelar because I feel like mm. five. I play a lot of five aside. Five aside, you just need like you just need a shit house. You need someone that's just gonna like scream at the opposition because the goal's yeah. the goal's pretty small and so as long as you've got a professional I think I think you're pretty good so I just want someone that's just a complete nut job probably Bruce yeah. Gobbler in goal in defense um oh I kind of want uh a small defender 
I don't really want someone massive. Uh, I want someone who's strong but kind of short built. So maybe someone like Baresi, um, mm, in his prime, incredible midfield. Oh, Zidane has to be there. Uh, mm. Zidane has to be there. Messi, we'll put Messi up top, and that leaves me with another midfield slot. I kind of want to get an Arsenal player in here or someone that I've grown up loving. Someone like Wilshire. Wilshire, ooh. Would you put him in there? Would you? Someone like Alex Song. Put Alex Song in there. Alex wow, Song. that yeah. is a shout. Yeah, that is Alex a Song shout. Or maybe Alex Song or Fabregas. One of them. One of them on the bench because mm. I mean, they're players I you know I first grew up just adoring. Fabregas uh, next to Zidane, Messi up front, Baresi behind them, Grobelo and goal. That's a, a team of mixed personalities. Oh, that, that's um, a beautiful team. That is Zidane and Fabregas on the same team with yeah. Messi. Oh my god! Okay. Yeah, okay. Nah, definite, definitely, uh, that'll be a good game, both of our teams. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's going to be it for today. Ninad, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved every second of it. Thank you so much for coming on. I wish you all the best and take care. Wish you the same as well, Max. Thank you so much for, for your time. And yeah, a pleasure talking to you as well. Cheers, mate. Uh, Cheers. If you made it this far, thank you very much for listening. Uh, be sure to share it follow it, rate it, all that good stuff. And until the next episode, take care. Ciao.